Father, we thank you so much for this time to be here this morning, and I pray that you will uh, just give us uh, energy and strength to just uh, to listen and to understand the things that we're going to be talking about this morning. Father, I'm so excited to actually jump into the uh, first commandment of, uh, of the Ten Commandments, and Lord, I just pray that you just give us great insight into, into what we need to learn about this very, very important and fundamental commandment. So bless our time this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That, those are words from A.W. Tozer in a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. Okay? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think about God directly relates to uh, so many areas of your life. Uh, what you think about God relates to how you worship. Uh, the higher you view God, the deeper your worship will be. Uh, the lower you view, view God, the shallower your worship will be. Uh, anyone can go to church. Anyone can sing songs. You know, anyone can stand up and, and pray or anyone can, you know, you know, raise their hands during a church service or, you know, get really, you know, emotional and things like that. But worship divorced from a high view of God or, or, or that has grand thoughts about God will always be shallow. It will always be shallow. Because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think about God also relates to how happy you are. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but it's true. Uh, the higher you view God, the happier you'll be. The lower you view God, the more frustrated you'll be. Uh, there are all kinds of ways people try to find happiness today. Uh, there are all kinds of forms of entertainment that our, our world is just is all about and, and getting into. But, but a, a worship of God or, or a, um, a life of God that is invested in God himself is going to be happy. And one that is not invested in God, one that is invested in this world, is going to be extremely frustrating. It's going to be sad. It's going to be depressing. And what you think about God also relates to how productive you are. The higher you view God, the more productive you'll be. Uh, making God the, uh, your highest priority gives you great drive to be the best you can be for the glory of God. However, the, the lower you view God, the less productive you'll be. Uh, you might be motivated in life. You might be someone who, who actually likes to get things done and get things done on time. Uh, you might like to work hard or earn money, or uh, you may be motivated to get married and do charitable deeds or all kinds of different stuff. But if it's not underneath the umbrella of God, it's ultimately not for the right cause, and it's not going to be productive. Ultimately, you're unproductive, and what you're doing is actually pointless because it doesn't carry over into eternity. So what you think about God directly relates to every area of your life. That's because God is the center of life itself. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. Because what we're going to look at is this very subject, that the 
really, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. And this is where we find the first commandment, Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. Now, you can also find the first commandment in Exodus 20, verse 3. There's, there's two places that it's uh, specifically mentioned. But for our purposes, we'll take a, take a look at Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse 7. Okay? And, and just read this with me just for a moment. It's very short. It's very simple. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And I want to, to ask three uh, simple questions this morning. Uh, three simple questions. Okay? And uh, here's what I want to do, okay? So I want to tackle this subject of no other gods before me. And here's the questions that I want to ask this morning, all right? Number one, what did this mean? What did this mean? Okay? What did it mean no other gods before me. Um, you know, if you don't know what it meant then, then it's safe to say you can't grasp what it means now. Okay, so we got to know what it meant. We got to know what it meant. Uh, number two, how did this work? How did this work? What did God intend Israel to do with this commandment? What was the whole purpose of it? What was the point of it? Okay, and. Number three, why should I care? Why should I care? Uh, we're going to spend a l really all of our time this morning in the Old Testament, pretty much all of our time. Uh, and this is a time period that you're probably not very familiar with. Um, this, is, this is like ancient history, okay? This is like studying like, you know, in one sense, like the boring parts of history that you're just not familiar with, right? Unless you like really love history. Uh, and here's the thing, we're not familiar with their culture. We're not familiar with the things that they, that they did. Uh, we don't offer sacrifices. You know, I didn't see you guys dragging in sheep this morning to be, uh, to be you know, burnt on an altar or something like that, right? You didn't do that. Uh, we, we don't eat, we don't, um, we don't have dietary restrictions, like don't eat bacon. We eat bacon, right? Like that's, yeah, which is awesome, it's great. But Israelites couldn't eat bacon. So this is, a, this is an entirely different culture that, that Israel is living in. And I think the temptation is uh, to, to think this. Well, if everything's so different today, why should I care? Why should I care? What's the big deal? And so we, we have to answer this question, why should I care? Is it really important? Does the first commandment still apply to me today? And so we're going to try to answer that question as well. So, so first of all, let's look at what did this mean? What did this mean? Uh, what did it mean when uh, this first came out of the mouth of Moses in front of the people of Israel? Uh, what did he mean by you shall have no other gods before me? So let's look at four answers to this question, okay? There's going to be four answers. And each answer is going to build on the one before it. So it's going to be kind of a nice progression. So look at, look at Deuteronomy 5.7 again. It says, you shall have no other gods before me, before me. And the critical question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it mean before me? What does that mean? Uh, now, the English language is really funny because when I say the word before, I could be meaning a lot of different things here, okay? 
I could be saying meaning beforehand, like something happened in the past, you know, like, you know, maybe, you know, I ate two, you know, 2,000 cheeseburgers before I swam in the pool or something like that, right? That would be crazy, but you could say that, you know, that, that, that sentence makes sense, sort of. Uh, <laughs> but it could mean something else. Uh, it could mean in the presence of, like I'm, I'm kneeling before, you know, the king or something like that. And what, what does that mean? Well, I'm kneeling in the presence of the king. So it could something mean something like that. Or it could mean a third option. It could mean uh, that I'm uh, in front of someone. I'm in front of someone. In other words, uh, I'm standing before someone in line, before someone. It's not just you're in the presence of them. You're in front of them. You're in front of them, okay? And so that third option is actually what we find here. What is he talking about when he says, you shall have no other gods before me? He's saying, make sure there are no other gods in front of me, in front of me. So make sure there are no other gods that are more prominent, more superior than me. That's the idea. I don't think it takes rocket science to really understand what this means, right? It's pretty simple. Don't elevate anything else to the level of God or above God. That's the idea. Uh, this is the theological principle that we talked about several weeks ago, that God is highest. God is highest. And that's the first thing that we really learn about this. God is highest. He's highest. He's the best. Nothing should come to the level of God in your life. Uh, he's the top dog, in, the se in a sense. And the question you need, you need to ask yourself is, why? Why? Why does God make such a big deal about himself being the highest? Is he just proud? Uh, does he just want to get everyone to admire him all the time just because that's just the way he is? Well, the reason that God makes such a big deal about this is because, number two, God is special. God is special. He alone is special. He's extraordinary. He's extraordinary. He's beyond what is ordinary. He's different. He's not normal. He's unique. He's not like us. He's the creator. We're just creation. Everything comes from him and nothing brought him into existence. He's different. He's special. And, you know, th there's, actually this, there's actually a big theological word that we use to call God special. You know what that word is? Holy. God is holy. That's what it means uh, for, what, is, what does it mean for God to be holy? It means he's special. He's special. He's different. He's separate. He's distinct. Why does God make such a big deal about being the top dog? Why does he make, make such a big deal about being special, about being the highest? Because there's no one else who's that special. There's no one else. No one else compares to God. I mean, can you actually think of any real person who is as special as God, who is, who is more unique, more different than God is? No one is. I mean, think about it. Everyone on the planet has something in common that God does not. And it is this. 
everyone is human. Everyone is human. Everyone's created. God is not created. He's not human. He's not. He's different. He's very different. And so, you know, God, in a sense here, has the right to be the front, uh, to really be in the front of the line. And everything else must fall in line behind him. Okay, that's what it means for God to be special. But, but perhaps you're like the kid who, uh, who out of morbid curiosity wants to play baseball in his parents' dining room, even when they told you not to. And you just want to find out, like, hey, what's the worst that could happen, you know, if I decide to have gods before God? What's going to happen? Well, here's, here's why that's a terrible idea to do that, okay? You just robbed God of being special. When you put other gods before God, you rob him of being special. Uh, the one being in the universe who actually deserves the top position, you've taken his special status, and you've given it to someone else who's just ordinary, who's just common, whether that's yourself or someone else or something else. Uh, it's kind of the syndrome principle. I talked about this before, but uh, remember I, I uh, mentioned this a couple of weeks back, The Incredibles. You guys remember The Incredibles movie, right? The arch-villain syndrome. And the, the, this villain syndrome has this famous line, as he's taunting all the superheroes that he's captured. And here's Syndrome, so you guys can get a nice picture of him, okay? So he's taunting them. At this very moment, he actually has this famous line, and he says, when I'm old and I've had my fun, I'll sell my inventions so that everyone can have powers. Everyone can be super. And if everyone's super, no one will be. Now, why does he say that? Does he have some sort of charitable good desire to make every person in the world like a superhero? No, he's a, he's a villain, right? He doesn't want everyone to have powers just because he wants to be nice. He said this because he wants to make the real superheroes, the people with actual extraordinary abilities, unspecial. That's what he wants to do. That's his whole goal. That's like his that's that's his that's his desire. That that's what drives him to be to be evil. He wants to rob the real people who are special of their elite status. That's what he wants to do. And the first commandment in the Ten Commandments is a warning to guard the elite status of God. He's special, and no one else is. So let's get practical here for a moment, okay? What does it look like in your life when God is special to you? I want you to learn an important word this morning, and it might be one that you already know, but we need to talk about it, okay? And it's this. Uh, number three, God is your priority. God is your priority. A priority is something that is considered to be more important than anything else. It's more important than anything else. And God must be considered more important than anything else, and, and every part of your life should demonstrate that. Every single part. Now, there's, there's one way to tell what your priority is. If you're like, how do I determine what my priority is? There's one way. The way that you know that your, what your priority is, 
is by the choices that you make, the choices you make in life. Let me give you an example. Tomorrow when you go home from school, or maybe you're like Joel and you're homeschooled, and so you're not going to actually go home from school, but you'll just be home. And, uh, but when you get home from school, you'll be faced with a choice. Okay? Here's, here's the choice. You can either do your homework or you can watch TV or play video games okay? or something else, whatever else you can imagine in your mind. Okay? At that moment, whatever you choose, that's your priority over those two options. That's your priority. That's what's moved into the elite status of your mind. That's what you consider special in that moment. Choices reveal our priorities. Uh, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.24 and in Luke 16.13, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and whatever else. It has to be one or the other. You can only have one priority, and your choices show you what your priority is. So the first commandment is so instructive for us because it reminds us what life is all about. Life is not about you. It's not. And so that's why we really come to our fourth and final point here. Really, what is this all about? Life is about God. Life is about God. And that's really the core principle of the first commandment, that really life is about God. Your life should be about God. That's what the first commandment is really trumpeting here, that you shall have no other gods before me. Life is about the one true God. You are growing up in a world that has no clue what life's about. No clue. Everyone's into themselves. They're fascinated with the latest trends. They're pursuing the biggest stars. I mean, they have no clue what life's about. Do you realize? We were created to be about God. That's what we were created to do. I mean, the, the, the opening chapters of Genesis make this very clear. We were created in the image of God. What does that mean? That means when people, well, anyone looks at us and, and watches our lives, we're supposed to reflect who? God. I mean, when you look at an image or a photograph, what do you see? It's, a, it's, 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 it's just a, a picture of the real thing, right? It's just a picture of the real thing. And so the point is, it's not that the, the picture itself has value. It's that the thing that the, 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 there's, a, there's a picture of has value, right? You know, if, if you're like, you know, you're taking a selfie, you know, and stuff like that, you know, what's worth more, you or the picture? You are probably worth more, right? You don't, you, you know... You, if you had a choice between which one's going to die, the picture or you, which one are you going to choose, right? Right. Well, yeah, so selfie maybe is not a good example. But anyways, but what's the point here? The image of God. The image of God is supposed to point not to ourselves, but to God. That's the idea. We were created for God. Life is about God. And so... This is a big deal, uh, and it's not just a big deal in the Ten Commandments. Uh, this is a big deal in the entire book of Deuteronomy. The theme of no other gods is woven throughout the fabric of the entire book. I mean, just listen to a handful of examples here. Deuteronomy 6.14, 
you shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.19, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you shall surely perish. This is serious. Uh, Deuteronomy 18.20, the prophet who speaks in the name of God, in the, in the, na in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. I could go on and on and on. There's so many. I've, I've actually got several more written here, but 18 times in the book of Deuteronomy, it mentions, you shall have no other gods before me in some way, shape, and form. The consequences for having other gods before the one true God are big. And that's because this is a big deal. Because life's about God. Life's about God. And there are so many examples in the Old Testament where Israel is faced with this choice. Are we going to make life about God or are we going to elevate other gods above God? And what do we find time and time again in the Old Testament? Israel placed other gods before God. Judges 2.19. But it came about when a judge died that Israel would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. Even King Solomon, 1 Kings 11.4, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. 2 Kings 2.22.17, they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods. So many times in the Old Testament, Israel failed. Should I, I mean, I, I could continue here over and over and over again. The first commandment dominates the message of the Old Testament because this is no small issue. It's a big deal. Life's about God. And so this is really instructive for us. Our lives need to be about God. Every planet of your life should revolve around his son. Okay? But how does this work? How does this work? Or how did this work? God is special and life's about him, but how were God's people supposed to live out this truth? Last week, we reviewed the three purposes of the Ten Commandments, okay? We really made a big deal about the three purposes. Do you remember what the three purposes are? Anyone remember? I know this, this, this is a little bit, this is, this is harder than actually knowing what the Ten Commandments are, I think, but. That's, yeah. Good. Yes. Yes. Shine as a beacon of hope. Yeah. yeah. Shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Okay. Anyone else remember what another one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Show your love for God by your love for others. Very good. What's the first one? Yeah. Broadcast who God is and what he's all about. I'll just say who God is for now. Yeah, very good. Those are our three purposes. The Ten Commandments are meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. They're meant to show your love for God by your love for others. And they're meant to shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. 
And again, I, I kind of helped, I tried to help you like put them all together last week and showed you this is your mission to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. This is the method, the way you go about it to show your love for God by your love for others. And this is your motivation. This is, this is why you do what you do because you want to shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world, okay? And so those are the three purposes. And remember, I want to fuse these purposes into each commandment because every commandment accomplishes these purposes, all three of them. And so we have to find out how do they accomplish those purposes. This is how the Ten Commandments work. This is how the first commandment works. So number one, we learn this. The first commandment was meant to broadcast what? That God is highest. That God is highest. And we just kind of talked about this already, so I don't need to beat a, a dead horse here, I don't think. Okay? But it was meant to broadcast that God is highest. He's different. He is the best. This was Israel's mission with the first commandment. He's your priority, Israel, because ultimately life's about him. So Israel was created to show God off. That was their whole point, okay? Kind of like, um, you know, I, I went in, in the series Unstained a couple months back, I showed the video of the Ohio State marching band that was, you know, doing all these really cool, like, formations, and, like, they formed, like, a T-Rex, like, eating somebody and stuff like that, and, like, pirate ships, like, destroying each other and everything. What were they doing? They were showing off different blockbuster movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, Superman, or Man of Steel, I think it was. And so it, that, the whole idea of that is they're showing off these movies. It's not about them. It's not about like how cool they are, even though it's cool. It's, hey, these movies are huge. They're big. We want to honor them and respect them and kind of show them off. Well, that's Israel's job. Their job is to show that God is highest. He's the best. This is what he's all about. And so you also were created to show God off. That's your whole point. That's your mission. Uh, John Piper once said, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that he really is. This is what it means to be created in the image of God. That was Israel's mission, and that's our mission as well. But how do we accomplish that? Are there tangible ways that we can demonstrate that God is highest? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what we find is that number two, the first commandment was meant to show that you value God's authority by valuing human authority. By valuing human authority. Don't forget this. You, you get to show your love for God by your love for others. You can't separate your love for God from your love for others. They go hand in hand. They go together. And the way you best show that you care about God's special status, his supremacy, uh, his, uh, his greatness, his authority over your life, is by caring about the human authority in this world that God has given you. And we know this because... We, we, we've looked at the fact that the Ten Commandments, oops, yep. the Ten Commandments, here, I'll just kind of put a line here so you can see this, are divided into two parts, right? 
Your relationship with God is the first four. Your relationship with others is the last six. And so we, what we find is that it, it, there, there's two parts to this, but they, they aren't just distinct from each other. They actually go together in certain ways. And so what we find is that these two commandments go together with the fifth commandment. The first and second actually match up with the fifth. Your, your relationship with God, the way you view God's authority, that you shall have no other gods before him, and that you shall not make an idol out of him, relates to the fact that you should honor your parents. And we talked about this in the sense that the reason why they go together is because it talks, they all have to do with authority. God's authority, human authority. See how that works? And so the idea here is this, that when you respect human authority, you are showing that you respect God's authority. You respect God's authority. And so this is really, really important here. So Christians today use the exact same method. They use the exact same method. It's no different than the way Israel was supposed to do it. We convey our respect for God and his authority by obeying other authorities in our lives. When we submit to teachers, when we listen to our parents, when we do what our bosses tell us to do, when we follow our church elders and pastors, we indicate that we truly believe that God is special and that life is really about him. We show that we respect that. But what motivates us to do this? Very simply, it's this, that the first commandment was meant to shine the hope of an all-powerful God on a helpless world. It was meant to shine as uh, uh, the hope of an all-powerful God on a helpless world. And here's what I mean by that. The first commandment is more than just a commandment. It's more than just a rule to follow. It's more than just pointing even to the person of God. It's a pointer toward what he will do. It's actually drawing people's attention to the fact that God has a plan to do something, to change the way this world is running. Right now, we are underneath what is called the curse. The curse, right? There's a curse on this world. And the curse is, I mean, you know, you're like, what's the curse? The curse is very simply just all the problems that you experience in life. You know, like when you stub your toe, it hurts, right? It's painful. That's the curse, okay? You know, if you, know, if you ever have an appendicitis attack, which is miserable. Uh, I haven't had it, but it looks miserable. That's, that's the curse, right? That's horrible, but that's true. Death is a part of the curse. That is built into the, that's really the culmination of the curse itself, that everyone is supposed to die because everyone has sinned. That's the curse. Everyone's underneath the curse. And so the, all Ten Commandments, including this first one, is designed to show that God has a plan to change that. He's going to change that. Now, it doesn't tell us how, but it does tell us that God is going to change that. And so what specifically the first commandment is beginning to indicate about this plan of God is that he is an all-powerful God because he's different, he's special, 
and there's no one else who can challenge him. When, when it says, you shall have no other gods before me, God's basically saying, I have no other challenger. There's no one who can stand toe-to-toe with me. There's no one who can actually pit me against some other deity, some other god. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. I am so far different, so far greater than everyone in the universe that I am uniquely special and I'm uniquely all-powerful. And so what's the point here? He says, I am sovereign. I am sovereign. God is sovereign. That's just a big word for saying God's in control. God's in control of everything. If God has no challenger, if God has no one to compete against him, that means he actually has control over everything. Everything. There's no Hercules or Zeus to challenge God. It doesn't exist. And that is the most encouraging thing you can ever hear. It really is. Because if God has a challenger, if God is someone that can actually stand against him, then we have a problem. Because then what happens is God loses his ultimate control over everything. And if God loses the control over everything, this plan of salvation is not going to happen. God's going to spend all of his energy, all of his time fighting other gods when he should be saving the world that is lost underneath the curse. The fact that God's in control means that God is, in fact, going to save, and there's nothing that's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. He is an all-powerful God that is going to save a helpless world. And so that is the motivation that we have to live out the first commandment. God is so powerful. We want to champion the fact that God is great and there's no one greater because this God has promised to send us his son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? We, on this side of Jesus, have seen him come. We know that God was faithful, that God was all-powerful to send his son into this world to die on the cross and to rise again and to give us eternal life. That is true. We see God's power all throughout history. That's amazing. We have the benefit of looking at that. And therefore, we have confidence that God will finish the job once and for all. And every wrong will be made right. And that's why we choose to never have any other gods before our one and true only God. So the mission is to broadcast that God is highest. The method is to show you value God's authority by valuing human authority. And the motivation is that we want to shine the hope of an all-powerful God on a helpless world. Okay? But why should I care? Why should I care? We just went through so much here, okay? I mean, it was, there's only so Like I said here, it's going to take two sermons per commandment, okay? So we're going to cover this a little bit more next time in the New Testament. But there's so much we could cover here, and we could only touch on a few things. But the question is here, okay, why does this really matter? Why does this really matter? Does this really impact my life? Does it actually change the way I live? You know, I don't believe in other gods. 
you probably don't believe in other gods. You're probably, you know, you probably don't have shrines and altars and, or, you know, figurines in your house that you're bowing down to every day and stuff like that. That's not like a temptation for you or a draw. That's just not our culture. Even unbelievers in our culture don't worship other gods. Our, our American culture is either worshiping one, one kind of God, whether it be God himself, the real God, or Allah and Islam, or, you know, some kind of, you know, distortion of God, like in, you know, Mormonism or something like that, or they're just atheistic and they just, or they're agnostic. They just, they don't know if there's a God or they don't believe there's a God. We don't, we don't have this problem of there's many gods to choose from, or we, we believe in many gods and, and, and things like that. that that's, not a, that's not a problem for us. So why should we care about this? Does this really apply to us? Well, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. I want to conclude with this to kind of help show why this is important. Ezekiel chapter 14. Book of Ezekiel. One of the craziest books in the Bible. Literally. Ezekiel's done some crazy stuff. Like, he like played army men, literally, in front of the elders of Israel um, for like 400 days in a row. He, uh, his, uh, oh, his, <laughs> his, um, uh, God told him not to mourn when his wife, when he killed his wife. That's crazy, but he did, he, that's what he did. Uh, there's, there's, he, there's a lot of crazy things that happened to Ezekiel, and, uh, and, uh, he actually flew, sort of, and, uh, it's like the only, the only man in the Bible to fly except for Jesus or whatever, but anyways, look at this. This, this is interesting. Chapter 14, verse 1. Because what this is describing, the book of Ezekiel is, is really trying to, to hone in on the fact that Israel hasn't just committed sin against God. There's something deeper inside that, is, that has caused them to sin. And it says this, that the, the men from the elders of Israel came to me and, and they sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have erected idols in their hearts. Idols in their hearts. Where are the idols? Where are they? In their hearts. Not outside. They haven't put them up, you know, in, you know, in their houses or in their temples. What does it say? They put them up inside their hearts. Inside their hearts. That's weird. How can you actually like open up your heart and put an idol in there? Like, does it make any sense? What's he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that idolatry, at its very core, what you worship starts in your inner person. It, it starts in here. It starts in your desires. What you long for, what you crave, that's idolatry. You can actually worship something without actually building or uh, creating an idol. And what we learn from this is that everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. That's what we learn from this. Everyone worships something. You don't have to actually construct an idol. Everyone has idols inside their hearts. It all starts there. You can be in a religion that worships only one God. You can be an atheist. Someone doesn't even believe in God and you are still worshiping something. Everyone worships something. 
And if you're wondering, well, how, how do I know that I'm worshiping something? What does it mean to worship? Well, think about it. You study it. Whatever it is, you study it. You are constantly looking at it. You're, you're examining it. You're fascinated by it. You're dedicated to it. Uh, you, don't give, you don't give up easily on it. You're, you're persistent with it. You sacrifice for it. You give your time, your money, your energy. You witness about it. You talk about it to your friends or to your parents or, or even to people you don't even know. Uh, you sing about it. Maybe for the, the girls more than the guys. I don't know. Like, guys, do we sing about stuff? Maybe, sort of. You're excited about it. You're thrilled whenever you get to be around it or you're involved in it or you're a part of it. You make it your identity. It becomes who you are, what you're about. Everyone worships. Everyone worships. That's not the, the question is not, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? What have you erected inside your heart? What have you risen up to be your God? What is your life about? What is your life about? So what does it mean that you shall have no other gods before me? It means that God is highest. It means he's unique and special and he's, he should be your priority. Life is about him. It's not about us. And how does you shall have no other gods before me work? It, well, it, it broadcasts that God is highest. It shows that you value God's authority when you value human authority. It shines the hope of an all-powerful God uh, on a helpless world. And why should you care about that you shall have no other gods before me? Because you worship some God. And the question is, what is that God? What is that God? The Israelites always worshiped gods. They always did. The problem is they rarely worshiped God. Singular. The only God, the true God. We worship something. The first commandment challenges us to make God our only worship. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into your mind? That's an important question. Because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Life's about God. Are you about God? Okay, bow with me and pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that you are gracious. And the fact that you are gracious is encouraging to us because it means you want to save us. But that is not going to happen if you're not the ultimate highest being in the universe. We have no guarantee that you can save us unless you have full control and full power over everything. And what we find in the first commandment is that God is highest. He is the best. Life is about him. And I pray, Father, that we would make our lives about him. Father, strip away from our hearts our selfishness, our wickedness, wanting to make life about us and our own pursuits and pleasures. Help us to center everything in our life about, around you and to make, us, uh, and, and to make um, our lives or, or, or make, a, make you our ambition in our lives. So, Father, please bring us conviction in this way. Help us to see the ways that we are 
erecting other idols in our hearts. And may we put those to death and pursue you with great joy, with great diligence, because, as Revelation says, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and blessing. And it is in the name of the Lamb of God that we pray. Amen.